0: Chapter 10 of Survivor's Tales of Famous Crimes. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Survivor's Tales of Famous Crimes, edited by Walter Wood. Chapter 10 The Reading Baby Farmer. On May 21st and 22nd, 1896, at the Central Criminal Court, before mr justice hawkins a woman aged fifty-seven years described as a nurse was tried for the wilful murder of two infants named doris marmon and henry simmons this woman was the notorious amelia elizabeth dyer the baby farmer who carried on her dreadful trade at reading and elsewhere she was condemned and was hanged in newgate prison on june tenth eighteen ninety six her conviction was largely due to the efforts of ex-Detective Inspector J.B. Anderson, who was at that time a member of the detective branch of the Reading Borough Police. Inspector Anderson retired from the force in 1914 after more than thirty-three years' service, a fine record. In recognition of his very able work in connection with the Dyer case, Mr. Anderson was specially thanked by the Watch Committee of the Reading Corporation, and he and Sergeant James, who was associated with him, received checks, while later other presents were made to the inspector, whose story of the famous crime is told herewith. Early in the spring of 1896, a barge was coming up the river between Rennet's Mouth and the Caversham Lock, about 400 yards from the Great Western Railway Station at Reading. As the craft proceeded slowly, the bargeman saw a brown paper parcel on the side, just above the water, at that particular place the greater part of the river bank is a public recreation ground and there is also Messrs huntley and palmer's cricket club ground and a field belonging to the same firm so that the parcel was on a quite open area at the side of the river is the towing path which is very much used by pedestrians just at this point also there was a shallow space about four feet wide between the towing path and the deep water and it was on this shallow space that the parcel, which had apparently been thrown by someone from the towing path, was lying. The bargeman put his punt-hook out and caught hold of the parcel. As he did so, the wet paper tore, and he saw that a tiny baby's leg was sticking out. The parcel was at once drawn to the bank, and the police were promptly acquainted with its discovery. Police Constable Barnett, he retired in 1915, was on duty in the district at the time, and the parcel was given to him. He took it to the police station on his back in a sack. I had entered the station just before Barnett arrived, and I accompanied him to the mortuary with the dead body of the baby. The parcel was unpacked with great care, and it was seen that the contents had been wrapped up in many sheets of paper, napkins, and other things. It seemed as if the parcel would give no clue to lead to anyone's identity, but the very last sheet of paper, that nearest to the body, bore the name and address of Mrs. Harding, 20 Wiggetts Road, Caversham, and a Midland Railway label with the address, Temple Mead Station, Bristol. When the last sheet of paper had been removed, there was revealed the corpse of the little child, a girl with a piece of tape tied tightly round its neck, with the knot under the left ear, showing the case at once to be one of murder. I still have the tape, with other pieces like it used for the same purpose, and I keep as a relic, too, the addressed paper and label, which did so much in solving the mystery and bringing the murderess to justice. I may say here that the parcel had been undoubtedly thrown from the towing path in the expectation that it would fall into the deep channel, but it had dropped on the shallow patch, and being in the water it had not been easy or possible to reach it so as to cast it farther out i set to work at once to make inquiries and on the evening of the day on which the parcel was found i learned that a mrs harding had lived at twenty piggott's road for there was no wiggott's road at caversham but that she had removed to some address in the neighbourhood of oxford road Reading. i discovered that there had been a mrs harding in that locality where she had lived with her daughter and son-in-law, a young man named Arthur Ernest Palmer, but that they had left and were supposed to have gone to London. These somewhat fruitless inquiries, as they might seem to be, are only part of the day's work of a detective, and I was by no means discouraged. I continued my investigations, and found that Mrs. Harding had been living at 45 Kensington Road, Reading, and now I made what proved to be an important discovery for i ascertained that the woman had been seen leaving kensington road carrying a carpet-bag on the morning of the day after that on which the little body was found in the parcel by the barge-man i was able to learn a good deal about the movements of mrs harding at caversham and to find out that she had been in the habit of adopting children it was necessary to proceed with great care and caution and to take special steps to learn what had been done and with this end in view I took into my confidence a young woman, whom I instructed to call at the house of Mrs. Harding, with the purpose of getting acquainted with her movements. I posted up the young woman, with the bogey excuse, that she had been recommended to Mrs. Harding by a friend in London, whose name she was not allowed to mention, with the object of arranging that Mrs. Harding should adopt a baby, and that the necessary arrangements should be made for the infant's removal." The young woman went to the house and was told that Mrs. Harding had not returned, but in her stead she saw an old lady of about seventy who was known as Granny Smith. I shall have something to say about Granny later on. Granny Smith was told that the young woman had come from London to see Mrs. Harding, and that she was disappointed because she had not met her. "'If you will arrange to see Mrs. Harding,' said Granny, "'I'll have her sent for.' and an appointment was made for two days afterwards, because Mrs. Harding would be absent for that period of time. So far, so good. At the time agreed upon, the young woman returned to Kensington Road and met Mrs. Harding, who was at once anxious to know who had recommended her. This inquiry was satisfactorily answered, and after some discussion, it was agreed that Mrs. Harding should adopt a baby and receive with it the sum of one hundred pounds. It was made clear to Mrs. Harding that the mother of the infant would not wish her name and address to be given. "'What time shall it be brought?' the young woman asked. "'You had better come to-morrow evening after dark,' was Mrs. Harding's answer. At the appointed time, Sergeant James, who is now a retired inspector, and myself were waiting in the new inn, Oxford Road, for developments, and in due course we were at the door of Mrs. Harding's house.' now it was that mrs harding revealed her real identity for when we called and made ourselves known and began to inquire as to the parcel which had been found on the towing-path bearing the name and address of mrs harding she said that her name was mrs dyer and not harding with regard to the parcel she could offer no explanation except that no doubt she had put it into the dust-bin in the usual way with other rubbish we began to make a close examination of the place and in a cupboard under the stairs we found a very important clue, a quantity of baby's clothing, and we noticed a most unpleasant odor, as if some decomposing substance had been kept there. Doubtless, as subsequent events showed, the body of a little child had been concealed in this cupboard for some days before being taken out and disposed of. As the result of these inquiries, Mrs. Dyer was arrested and taken to the Reading police station, where, as soon as she got the opportunity to do so, she tried to strangle herself with her bootlaces. But the attempt did not succeed. After being brought before the magistrates, Mrs. Dyer was remanded. Meanwhile, I went to London and traced the daughter and son-in-law to 76 Mayo Road, Willesden. while Sergeant James returned to Mrs. Dyer's house and interviewed Granny Smith again. He noticed that there was in the house a little lad named Thornton, and a girl about twelve years old children who had been taken charge of by mrs dyer in the course of her business further search by him brought to light the vaccination papers of a child who had been born at hammersmith but it was clear that the child had not been vaccinated because the papers had not been sent in the child referred to was a little girl and the body which had been taken from the parcel was that of a little girl but as the ages of the children were not the same it was reasonable to suppose that there had been more than one case of murder. The Palmers had become seriously involved, and the chief constable sent me and Sergeant James to London on the following day to arrest them, but I decided before doing so to trace the origin of the child which had been born at Hammersmith. Inquiry at the registrar's showed that the birth had taken place at a midwife's house, where the mother had been received for the accouchement we discovered that the mother who was a single woman had handed the child over to mrs harding in reply to an advertisement which mrs harding had inserted in a newspaper when the child was fetched by mrs harding she was accompanied by a young man with auburn hair and moustache who carried the baby's clothing and feeding bottle the description given of the young man corresponded with that which had been furnished of palmer in the company of a london officer sergeant bartley we went to mayo road again and there saw mr and mrs palmer the man denied all knowledge of the affair but we had the mother of the child with us and she immediately identified him as the man who had come with mrs harding to take it away for the purposes of our case we treated the child which had been found at Reading as the child in question and i accordingly arrested palmer and charged him with being an accomplice of mrs harding or as she was now and properly known mrs dyer on the way to the police station mrs palmer who was a young woman in the early twenties walked with me and i pointed out to her the seriousness of her position she then volunteered the statement that on the evening of the day after the body of the child was found at reading her mother came to her house bringing with her a baby the palmers were occupying only two rooms in mayo road a sitting-room and a bedroom and the sitting-room was given over to Mrs. Dyer. Mrs. Palmer put her own child to bed, and on returning to the sitting-room she found that the child which her mother had brought with her had been placed on the floor, under the couch, and that Mrs. Dyer was sleeping on the couch. On the following day they went together to Paddington Station, where, by appointment, they met a woman under the clock, and received from her another baby, which they took to Mayo Road. On that night she mrs palmer was putting her own child to bed her mother being again left in the sitting-room with the baby that had been received at paddington mrs palmer further said that again mrs dyer slept on the couch and the baby was placed under it on the floor the next evening the palmers accompanied mrs dyer to paddington station the man helping his mother-in-law to carry a carpet-bag as they saw mrs dyer safely into the nine fifteen train for Reading having the bag with her. That bag, which was subsequently found in the river, contained the murdered bodies of the two infants who on two successive nights had been placed on the floor of the sitting-room under the couch on which Mrs. Dyer slept. Each had been murdered in the same way, by tying a piece of tape round the neck and so producing strangulation. Mrs. Palmer was taken to Westburn Park Police Station, and Palmer was conveyed to Reading where he was charged as an accomplice and remanded further search at mrs dyer's house brought to light numerous letters from mothers who had entrusted their little children to her and these inquiries concerned amongst others a little boy named henry simmons and a little girl of the name of doris marmon we were enabled to trace the parents of these two infants no trace of the carpet-bag having been found on the railway it was assumed that the bag had been thrown into the river. Dragging operations were undertaken, and resulted in the finding of the bag with the bodies in it, and these were afterwards the subject of the charge which ended in Mrs. Dyer's execution. Little by little the case was completed. Palmer himself was discharged, because there was not enough evidence to establish his complicity in the matter, and his wife, though committed for trial on the coroner's inquisition, on the charge of murder in respect of another child was acquitted at the berkshire assizes the grand jury on the judge's direction having returned no true bill against her this narrowed down the case to mrs dyer who was committed for trial at the central criminal court for the murder of doris marmon and henry simmons by that time of course the whole of the case was completed it had been a long and laborious matter but little by little the woman's movements had been traced and her guilt established one of the most important points that had been proved was that mrs dyer was seen by a warder at Reading prison coming from the direction of the river thames about ten minutes to eleven o'clock on the night when she had been seen off by the nine fifteen train from paddington and as this train was due at Reading soon after ten o'clock it was very suggestive to us that she had come off that train and had gone straight down to the river and thrown the bag in, after which she went home, and was returning from her errand when the warder saw her. To get back to Granny Smith, we discovered that Mrs. Dyer had lived at Bristol, where she had adopted a number of children. The Bristol police had had a considerable amount of correspondence in relation to her, and it was found that amongst the children who had been adopted, was the illegitimate child of a woman who afterwards married the father. After the wedding, the parents became anxious about their child and wanted possession of it. But the child had disappeared, and Mrs. Dyer became so harassed because of the urgent nature of the inquiries that she feigned madness and went to an asylum and afterwards to the workhouse. It was while she was in the latter institution that she met Granny Smith, and subsequently, when she left, she got Granny out of the workhouse and took her to Reading, where the two women lived together. This was one of the many important circumstances which showed the deliberate nature of the dreadful trade that Mrs. Dyer had carried on for a long time. She had lived at several addresses, never staying long at any one of them, because people were constantly writing and making inquiries about children, and, to avoid discovery, Mrs. Dyer disappeared, and, as a rule, was lost sight of eventually she reached reading the last of her scenes of operations during the progress of the inquiries we had received an enormous number of letters from persons all over the country who had entrusted children to the woman's care they were mostly servants who wrote but in many instances no trace of the children could be found no fewer than seven little bodies were found in the river at reading but only two could be properly identified, and it was for the murder of these that Mrs. Dyer was found guilty and paid the penalty. The jury were only five minutes in arriving at their verdict. Mrs. Dyer's trial began just after the Muswell Hill murderers, Fowler and Milsom, had been condemned. I had been in court and had gone out. In my absence, the two men were found guilty, and there occurred that famous fight in the dock between them but when i got back into the court the whole of the exciting scene was over the muswell hill murderers and another man named seaman were hanged together on the ninth of june and on the following morning mrs dyer was executed about four years after mrs dyer's execution digging operations were carried on in the garden of a house in which she had lived at bristol and human remains were found further excavations were made and these resulted in the discovery of the remains of about four children's bodies inquests were held but nothing definite could be established though there was no doubt as to what had taken place and the inquests were adjourned i do not know the exact number of murders which this woman had committed on the helpless infants who had been given into her care in every case with cash payment in a lump sum because she refused to take weekly or monthly amounts but it was very large and there was proof enough to show that she had carried on her dreadful trade in a wholesale fashion all the seven bodies which were found had tape tied round the neck in the same manner with a knot under the left ear and all seemed to be the work of the same person it was significant too that when in Reading prison mrs dyer made the attempt to strangle herself with her bootlaces, they were tied in exactly the same manner as the tape had been fastened with which the murdered children had been strangled. The extent of the baby-farming operations was indicated by the immense number of children's garments which were found. A great quantity of these had been pledged with various pawnbrokers at Reading, and many were identified by persons who had entrusted their children to Mrs. Dyer's care, but no trace of the children was ever found." there was a significant sequel to the trial and execution of mrs dyer more than two years afterwards palmer and his wife who were living at an address in oxfordshire were charged at the devon Quarter sessions at exeter with abandoning an infant girl three weeks old in a railway carriage at newton abbot it was proved that an advertisement had appeared in a plymouth newspaper offering to adopt a child and that in answer to it a woman who lived at Devonport arranged for her baby to be adopted by the two prisoners, who were paid fourteen pounds. When Mrs. Palmer got the baby and the money, she left Plymouth by train, and changed carriages at Newton Abbott. She put the baby under the seat of the carriage, which was shunted, and there the poor little mite, suffering greatly, remained until the next morning, when its wails were heard by some shunters, and it was rescued. The child had been stripped of all its clothing, and was wrapped up in brown paper. The prisoners were found guilty, and, most deservedly, each of them was sent to two years' hard labor. End of chapter 10. The Reading Baby Farmer